You're listening to your public radio station for more than three decades, KUAF 91.3 FM. And this is Ozarks at Large for Monday, October 17th, 2022. I'm Timothy Dennis. Ahead on today's show, Secretary of Arkansas Parks, Heritage and Tourism, Stacey Hurst, talks with Roby Brock about the record year for tourism that was 2021. Plus, Randy Dixon takes us through the busy life of Jocelyn Elders as an Arkansas doctor, educator, and ultimately as the U.S. Surgeon General. But first, we explore the state of short-term rentals in the natural state. More housing in northwest Arkansas is being converted into fully furnished short-term rentals for tourists and travelers. As Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports, city officials are grappling with ways to efficiently and effectively regulate short-term rental property sprawl. Back in 2008, a new startup in San Francisco called Airbnb launched a website for hosts to advertise nightly rentals to tourists in private homes. Listings for unoccupied, fully furnished apartments and houses converted into short-term rentals soon followed, together numbering over a million units across the United States. And this explosion of short-term rentals has cities and towns puzzling through ways to regulate them. An ordinance to amend 118.01, applicability of the federal city code. That's Fayetteville Mayor Lionel Jordan introducing an ordinance to City Council October 4th proposed by the Fayetteville Planning Commission to streamline and update the city's founding short-term rental ordinance established last year. Jonathan Kurth is Development Services Director who oversees long-range planning, permitting, and inspections, including for short-term rentals. As of October 4th, we have 72 Type 1 uh, short-term rental licenses that have been issued and 323 Type 2. Uh, The biggest distinction between Type 1 and Type 2 short-term rentals in Fayetteville is uh, about occupancy. A type one short-term rental is primarily occupied by a permanent resident, whether it's the owner or a long-term renter. A type two short-term rental is primarily used as a short-term rental. It doesn't have a permanent resident. It's used for uh, renting at a rate of less than 30 days at a time. This year, short-term rental municipal tax revenue, he says, is estimated to be around $800,000, a hotel, motel, restaurant tax. Fayetteville short-term renters are a mix of Ozark tourists, Razorback fans, off-road and street cyclists, bikers, as well as pandemic migrants, remote workers, and traveling nurses. All short-term rentals have to hold a business license. Uh, To get a business license, they have to register for their HMR taxes. They have to pass a life safety inspection from our building inspectors. Uh, and they have to meet our zoning standards uh, for the citywide uh, or the city's caps on the number of short-term rentals they can be. For type two rentals, those that are primarily used as, as short-term rentals, not permanent residences, uh, those also have to get a conditional use permit from uh, the city's planning commission. A conditional use permit allows, among other things, an incompatibly zoned business like a type two standalone and periodically vacant short-term rental to operate in a residential zoned neighborhood. A conditional use permit involves uh, a few things. On the front end, it's public notification. There's a sign posted in a property's yard and a mailer that goes to nearby uh, owners and residents. Uh, That's followed by a public hearing before the Planning Commission, and the Commission is charged with evaluating whether the proposal is compatible, whether it's going to represent a traffic or parking or trash issue, Uh, and on each one of those planning staff evaluates the request individually and makes a recommendation to the Commission. Faithful Planning Commission has proposed eliminating this complex permitting process, which takes time to coordinate. About 62 conditional use permits have been reviewed by the commission uh, since they were required in July. That represents two-thirds of the conditional use permits as a total the commission has considered so far this year. The bureaucracy of keeping pace with permitting new short-term rental applicants has become burdensome, certain members of the planning commission say, and it's duplicative. Duplicative with the standards of our business licensing process. Uh, So basically the the conditional use permit requires evaluation of uh, parking and location and the the request uh, relationship with our citywide density caps which are very similar things to what our, our staff look at with the business license process. Uh, and, and again, so the concern there is that we're 
basically doing the same thing twice to some effect. But there are there are distinctions, though, uh, the most prominent of which is public notification and having that public hearing uh, for people to air their concerns. People like Robin Devine, she lives in a designated neighborhood conservation residential intermediate district in South Fayetteville, a historically low-density neighborhood comprised mostly of early to mid-20th century single-family one-story dwellings. Short-term rentals have the inherent potential to break down the fabric of a neighborhood by the continued transientness of renters not invested in the community. Also, the increased presence of short-term rentals essentially decreases the number of affordable single housing available to the city that the city has been struggling for years to address in Fayetteville as Fayetteville continues to grow. Northwest Arkansas ranks fourth nationwide in population growth, third in job growth, and second in wage growth, according to Northwest Arkansas Council, as a result yielding housing unaffordability and economic inequality right now. And Divine told City Council neighborhood short-term rentals pose a real nuisance. There's a safety concern because we don't know who the neighbors are. We don't know when they're coming, when they're going, who's a potential perp, excuse me for saying that, but that's who. So there's empty houses that can be vandalized because there's nobody in the houses for maybe weeks at a time or at least part of every week. Critics of short-term rentals also complain about noise, traffic, and trash, and lack of enforcement. Short-term rental owner Logan Humphrey, who manages 40 licensed vacation rental properties in the area, tracks proprietary industry data, he told city council. There are 696 active properties listed in Fayetteville uh, on Airbnb and VRBO. It does account for double listings and discrepancies and makes its best assessment. But according to the data that we looked at, only um, 326 properties are licensed. Humphrey says more investors are buying up vacant residential and commercial property in the area and across the state to develop as lucrative short-term rental real estate. But may not be aware of any municipal regulation. Logan believes short-term rentals work to improve neighborhoods in Fayetteville and other places and have yielded few formal complaints and citations. He says the simplest way to control Type 2 standalone short-term rentals in Fayetteville is to maintain the city's 2% cap, along with city business licensing and inspection practices. For now, Fayetteville counts 43,700 housing units, so that limits the number to 875. The 2% caps allows a lot of restrictions on any possibility on there being an over-influence of vacation rentals in the market. Strict short-term rental ordinances have also been enacted in Hot Springs, Little Rock, Jasper in Newton County, and Eureka Springs in Carroll County. Kylie Heverty serves as Eureka Springs Historic Preservation Officer and Planner. The city enacted a short-term rental ban in late 2021 on tourist accommodations and residential zones after discovering hundreds of unlicensed listings. The the other part that, you know, we've kind of run up against a couple times is people that have a second home or vacation home and they maybe allow friends or family to come by um, has been alarming to neighbors because they assume if there's somebody there that isn't the typical property owner that it's being rented out as overnight lodging. Those situations are kind of difficult to navigate. She also has to educate outlier short-term rental investors. It really seems to kind of come in these weird waves where I will get a lot of inquiries from prospective buyers or agents representing buyers that have heard about something with Airbnb and they want to make sure that whatever property they're looking at, that they can rent it out as overnight lodging. According to AirDNA, short-term rentals in Arkansas tend to maintain a 60% occupancy rate, charging around $200 per night. That's four nights, four times a month, earning owners $3,200 or more. Now with inflation. Again, Fayetteville planner Jonathan Kurth. And the knock-on effect of all that is if a property is seen as income-generating, and the income generated from short-term rentals is higher than a long-term rental, 
it can inflate housing prices, which uh, certainly could factor into affordability concerns that we're experiencing in Fayetteville and Northwest Arkansas at large. Regulating short-term rentals, cities and towns are discovering, can be complex and contentious. Ordinances must be rational, administered fairly, and defensible in court. Fayetteville City Council will reconsider the proposal to streamline short-term rental permits and licensure tomorrow evening, as well as repealing a sunset provision in the founding ordinance that would nullify municipal short-term rental standards by mid-December if council fails to readopt. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. If you ever miss an episode of Ozarks at Large, or if you want to hear something again, or share an interview or story you heard with someone, you can go to ozarksatlarge.com. Past shows and individual pieces can be found there, and each interview and story comes with a link that allows you to share through email or social media. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by the Museum of Native American History, voted top 10 history museums in the U.S. This free, family-friendly experience is open Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and features a collection of art from all the Americas in a 21,000-year history. Located in Bentonville and on the web at monah.org. Theater Squared presents Detroit 67, a funny, fiery drama set to a Motown beat. In 1960s Detroit, siblings open an after-hours joint in their home to make ends meet. Filled with humor, history, and heart, this award-winning play is on stage through November 6th, 777-7477, or theater2.org for tickets. This is Ozarks at Large. Last year was a great year for tourism in Arkansas. According to a recent economic impact report from the Arkansas Department of Parks, Heritage and Tourism, state parks saw record visitations. Visitor spending topped $8 billion, which is up 33% from the previous year. Tourism jobs increased by 23%, and tourism tax collections topped $1.1 billion. Stacy Hurst, Secretary of the Arkansas Department of Parks, Heritage and Tourism, talked about the recent report this weekend with Roby Brock from our content partner, Talk Business and Politics. We saw a dip in our collections during 2020. It was anticipated. Um, we did better than most of our surrounding states, so we knew going into the next year in 21 that we were probably going to come back strong because people were flocking to Arkansas. I've said before, it's, there's never been a better time to be the natural state. And we really saw that in 21. Our uh, visitation increased, um, overnight stays increased, our collections increased, and so we had a really great year. And the really great news is that we're going to continue to do well into 22 and into 23. Obviously, a lot of this is coming out of the COVID-19 mm -hmm. pandemic. Um, as you mentioned, you know, uh, tourism tax collections dropped during then. Visitation was down everywhere for everyone. But there were some things that you all talked about. How do we prepare for the post-pandemic rebound? Mm -hmm. Tell me what you think kind of you had in place, you put in place, you saw going in place that led to these stronger numbers? So we made some, I think, really good decisions about our advertising and marketing. We pulled back. We, we didn't invite um, people from other states early in the pandemic into Arkansas. And we, we sort of remiss, we created a new message to invite people to enjoy the nature that Arkansas offers. And so that resonated with people. Um, our moniker really uh, worked well uh, during that time, the natural state. So um, we used that to our advantage, I believe. And now we're talking about, we shifted with the economy struggling, we shifted to Arkansas offers a great value. So um, that's where we're focused now. We're marketing outside of our traditional egg and uh, doing very well drawing people outside of Arkansas into the natural state. And of course, encouraging people that live in Arkansas to uh, travel within the state. Which they always do. They always do. All right, I think tourism is also, um, I think one of the things people have to keep in mind, it's always about constant innovation. You've got your traditional things that you've always done, but there's always something kind of coming on. There's two uh, museums that I'm particularly interested in. One's the Cold War Museum mm -hmm. up in Blyville, which I don't think a lot of people have really paid much attention to yet. Um, you guys have made an investment in that. Tell me a little bit about that project. It's a great project. When I was invited up there, uh, gosh, 
four years ago even, to take a look at it, um, I was convinced that that had the potential to be a really great museum, a great interactive and educational opportunity for people uh, my age who remember the Cold War, of course. But um, hey, I'm in that age group you're too. You're in that age Stacey. group too. I grew up in the 80s, <laughs> but people um, younger than us, Roby, who, who really are not familiar with how tense it was uh, during that time. So um, I think that's going to be a great museum. We're very excited to support it, and the governor is a big proponent of making that happen. And it's getting tense again, so it may have yeah. uh, renewed interest there for that as well. The other one, the other big one that I really want to talk about is the Arkansas Museum of Fine Arts in mm -hmm. Little Rock here. Um, I went to a reception where they raised their fundraising goal and announced their opening date of April of next year. Um, I think people are going to be blown out of the water when they walk through that the first time. The, the reality of it looks better than the artist rendition, and that never happens. What do you think that the impact of that new museum, that renovated museum, is going to be? Yeah, I think it's going to be huge. And Arkansas is on the map now uh, for art lovers because of Crystal Bridges. But with the Arkansas Museum of Fine Arts now serving uh, as an anchor in the central Arkansas area, we're going to be able to market now to art lovers, not just in the country, but internationally, to come to Arkansas and take in both of these outstanding museums. And I agree with you 100%. It could be transformational in terms of our tourism. Uh, another thing that could be transformational tourism, and I just don't think the state's going to get behind marketing this, but um, there was an economic impact report that came out about the possibility of recreational marijuana <laughs> in Arkansas. <laughs> um, it said that it could be a draw for some tourists. How does the state handle that if it passes and becomes law? Have y'all given that some thought? Is there, have there been conversations about that? No, there have not been conversations. As you know, the governor's position is against the passage of, of that um, act and of that law. And uh, so we, we have not discussed it and we have not taken a position on it. All right. Um, one thing I always say about tourism is it can happen anywhere in the state of Arkansas. You know, you can only move a manufacturing plant into a, an area where the site is prepared. You can only move uh, a logistics company where there's roads or, you know, waterways and whatnot. Tourism can happen in any county, any city, any town of any size in the state. Um, that's a huge advantage um, for us. Tell me a little bit about how you have seen some creativity, particularly in small towns, and how that has really been kind of a lifesaver for some of them. Well, so many of our small towns in Arkansas provide great access to the outdoors. And you know we created the Office of Outdoor Recreation. Catherine Andrews is traveling across the state, making great connections, encouraging people to take advantage of their outdoor assets to grow that outdoor economy. Um, we're seeing that over at the Delta Heritage Trail. There's so much enthusiasm for the opening of that trail. We anticipate that there'll be VRBOs that open that um, may maybe some, um, you know, cycling shops that could help uh, repair cyclist uh, bikes and yeah. things. And so we really think that uh, tourism and hospitality provides an incremental way to grow the economy in small locations. We have a great project that we're talking about in MENA um, to build bike trails up and down the Washtenaw Mountains from MENA all the way up to Queen Wilhelmina, Queen Wilhelmina State Park. So that's another opportunity to grow the outdoor recreation economy in a small town. All right, I got to wrap it up here, but I'm going to let you give a plug to a website. Arkansas Food Hall of Fame nominations are open. What's the website? They are. You can go to the Arkansas Heritage website. Uh, you can Google Arkansas Food Hall of Fame. It'll take you there. Um, we already have a, almost a thousand nominations awesome. so far. Yeah. All right, Stacy Hurst. Thank you, Secretary of the Arkansas Department of Parks, Heritage, and Tourism. Always appreciate you, Stacy. That was Stacy Hurst, Secretary of the Arkansas Department of Parks, Heritage, and Tourism, speaking with Roby Brock from our content partner, Talk Business and Politics. You can find more news from around the state at talkbusiness.net. The Arkansas School Safety Commission wrapped up their proceedings with a final report this week. The commission was reconvened by Governor Asa Hutchinson after the Robb Elementary School shooting in Uvalde, Texas in May. The report details 56 recommendations to schools and districts on how to better improve security. Dr. Cheryl May is director of the University of Arkansas System Criminal Justice Institute and has served as chair of the commission. She said Robb Elementary School had a culture of noncompliance exemplified by the number of unlocked doors in the school when the shooting happened.
In other words, they had um, basically little colored rocks that they put by the outside doors so they could be propped open. Um, they seemed to think that was perfectly fine. The lock in room 111 uh, had been broken for a long time. And so what we advocate for is that there is what we call um, a culture of compliance. May says she aims to prevent further attacks by implementing a layered approach. The committee is asking schools to have armed personnel on school property, alert systems, better door security, and random safety checks. May said she is concerned about schools in rural areas. $50 million from the Arkansas legislature will help fund the project. Governor Asa Hutchinson is asking lawmakers to support ongoing funding to make the recommendations a reality. KUAF is supported by Hendricks College, offering the nationally recognized Hendricks Odyssey program, which ensures students complete three or more hands-on learning experiences from internships and undergraduate research to service opportunities and study abroad programs. Hendricks.edu slash connect for more information. Support for KUAF comes from the Museum of Native American History in Bentonville. The museum is hosting a Dia de los Muertos festival with free admission November 5th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This celebration of life features food, music, and more. Information at M-O-N-A-H dot org. This is Ozarks at Large, and we're going to dip into our archives right now with a prior center collection of archives that first aired on our program in February. I still think the major health problem that we have, really even as far as the world is concerned, is related to ignorance. It's education, education, education. And we've got to educate people and teach them how to take care of themselves and how to be healthy. What we just heard was from a 2008 Prior Center interview with Dr. Jocelyn Elders. It is time to talk about Dr. Elders via archives from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. And to help us do that is Randy Dixon. Randy. Welcome to Ozarks at Large. It's great to be back. I know I was uh, sort of on the hiatus for a while. Winter and, is a good time yeah, to take a rest. We did, as you would nicely put, encore yes. editions of the prior center, but we're going to be back live. I got in, I think I said in, in the last uh, new program yeah. that uh, we got 1,800 wow. uh, new uh, tapes, hours of footage that I've started going through. When you go through this new footage, do you go, I mean, in real time? You just watch? Well, um, no. I, <laughs> I scrub through, but I also determine we have logs of what might be on, on which tapes. They, they don't have full metadata, but there is a log of what's on each tape, whether it's a huge event, which would be an entire tape, or various news stories, which then you would have to go back and look. Well, sound that was not included in those 1,800 hours but got us started is Dr. Jocelyn Elders this week. That's right. I, and I found a lot of material on her. Uh, you know, she was very controversial, mm -hmm. uh, not only in the state of Arkansas but nationally, and that's kind of what we're going to go into. But as background, she was actually born many Lee Jones in 1933 in Shaw, which is in Howard County, which is in South e. West. Southwest, okay. Yes, it's, yeah. down, it's down by Murfreesboro right. and right. Texarkana, that area. But uh, she worked in cotton fields and went to a one-room schoolhouse and pulled herself up and ended up uh, getting a scholarship to Flanders Smith College in, in Little Rock. Rock. And then... Uh, got her medical degree uh, from UAMS. She immediately, uh, upon getting her, her medical license, um, w advocated issues uh, regarding adolescent sexuality and particularly uh, teen pregnancy and contraception. And, you know, that, that brought her a lot of attention uh, I guess both good and bad. Right. I mean, she was finally talking about some things that people would not talk about in public that needed to be discussed, I think. That's right. And and this was in the 70s and 80s. So uh, she got to know Bill Clinton very well. And in 1987, he appointed her to head the uh, state health department. She was the director. 
And with that, she brought, um, she was very vocal. Right. Um, and as you can tell from this uh, Steve Barnes report from Arkansas PBS, he did this report back in the late 80s when she had just become director of the health department. And uh, here's just a sample. Portrait of a determined woman. A woman demanding we confront some unpleasant facts. We have the highest incidence of teenage pregnancy in this whole nation. To me, that's a public health problem. She is a woman with a special agenda, little patience, and her own timetable. I feel it's time for us to get on with it before we lose a whole generation of young people to a very deadly disease and another generation of young women and have another generation of 4, 12 and 14 year old parents and we know what kind of parents they make. You may not like what she says, but she's impossible to ignore. We can't walk out of here and start telling teenagers that are already sexually active to say no. She is Joycelyn Elders. She is the state health director. She won't give up, she won't go away, and she won't back down. I would like to say enough, if we could, to wake up the sleeping giant of middle America that's been sitting there doing nothing for, yay, these many years, and letting the 1% of people get their way while they sit and become totally unresponsive and watch their youngsters being continually wasted. And I'm angry. So that's from 1987, from Steve Barnes. Yes. And after that, she began to establish public school health clinics. And at that time, she distributed condoms and promoted awareness of AIDS and teen pregnancy. So... Well, okay. I mean, in 35 years ago in Arkansas, this was, um, you know, these were lightning topics. Oh, exactly. And and really rankled the uh, the conservatives. And so they accused her or I guess accused uh, sure. of, of promoting abortion, which she always denied. But um, here's an anti-abortionist, which at the time – calling right to life, right? Um, which in news we... Right. I mean, the Associated... We never use that expression. No, the Associated Press style book says it is anti-abortion. Right. And it is... Um, and those who back uh, women's productive, reproductive rights would be called pro-choice. And that's the AP style right. book. Yeah. Abortion rights right. are pro-choice. Right. Uh, and that's just uh, without using uh, a PR... Slant, right. I, I guess, to your title. But um, here is a, an anti-abortionist, right to life, or attacking the clinics and the schools, and after that will be uh, Jocelyn Elder's response. Arkansas Right to Life believes that school nurses, superintendents, and parents should be alerted to this future action because their rights could be jeopardized. Okay. Well, they, they had a feeling able to say we can do this and that. There is no... You know, there, there's no way that the health department could go to any school and perform any services without the permission of the school district or someone in that school district. She also discussed abstinence. Yes. As, as a, a way a, to not get have teen pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, as a form of contraception. Right. Basically. And, you know, still uh, certain legislators... Uh, opposed the proposal of the health clinics in the public schools. It really bothered them. When we reach a crisis proportion in our state, I think it's time for us to start looking at ways to prevent the problem which we're seeing. The only place that the children we're talking about go is school. It is, in effect, waving to our teenagers the white flag of surrender and saying that while we may talk about the value of abstinence and waiting till marriage, that in effect we are saying by our actions and by putting these clinics in the schools that increased teenage sexual activity is both inevitable and irreversible. What Dr. Elders was wanting to do was 
really sort of elevate the amount of discussion surrounding these these issues. Yeah, that's the bottom line is awareness of all of these problems that we've been talking about all this time uh, just right here. And there are quite a list of them that we've brought up right now. But um, here she is talking about the importance of the awareness. The first thing you do, you have to make the community aware of the problem. And I think we've definitely increased the awareness of this problem. And I have always felt that when Arkansans recognize they have a problem, they will respond and do what they need to do to solve it. Up to this point, Dr. Elders is pretty much known in Arkansas, maybe professionally in medical circles. She was well published. She had many articles that were out and spoke around the country about this. But as far as being a household name, primarily at this point, Arkansas, but it's going to change. Exactly. So Bill Clinton wins the presidency in November of 92. And immediately, because I remember when this happened, he set up an office in downtown Little Rock right around the corner from KATV, our television station. And they immediately started work on a transition team and uh, a cabinet appointments. And so Clinton held a news conference downtown Little Rock, and this is how he introduced his friend, Dr. Elders. The Surgeon General watches after America's health. This physician best serves when he or she tells the truth to the American people, whether it's about the dangers of smoking or the spread of AIDS. The current Surgeon General, Antonia Novello, has, in my judgment, served this nation very well in her job. I am grateful for her service and for the fact that she will continue to serve as Surgeon General until June and thereafter will serve in the nation's public health service. And... So this is, gosh, this is the early 90s. And at this point... Yeah, this is uh, probably late. November of 92, December of 93. Yeah. De- December... Uh, January, of yes. 93, as he's putting the transition team together. Right. At this point, which to me doesn't seem that long ago, Dr. Elders would have only been the second African-American appointed to a cabinet-level position. That's right. In the history of the United States up to that point. That's right. Wow. Uh huh. And this is how she came to the podium right after the president elect introduced her. She came to the podium, and this is Dr. Elders. President elect Clinton, Vice President elect Gore, I'm pleased to have been chosen as a member of your team to help affect change in America. During the past five years, I've been honored to serve. President-elect Clinton as his health director in the state of Arkansas. I would like to extend my gratitude to him for this honor, for being able to do this, and the many opportunities which I've had. As you pointed out, not confirmed because you have to be confirmed by the Senate. The well, US and Senate. that's where it always gets yeah. a little dicey. Yes. Uh, you have the confirmation hearings, and uh, this was before the Senate Labor and Human Resources Committee. And, uh, you know, there were plenty of Republicans on there. So, you know, there's going to be some opposition, especially since uh, she was a bit controversial or mm-hmm. a lot controversial. But she did have friends, especially all the Democrats. But there was a personal friend who came over from the House uh, to introduce her uh, to the committee. And that was Congressman Blanche Lambert, who we later became knew as— Senator Blanche Lincoln, right. Uh, Blanche oh, Blanche Lambert, Lincoln. Yeah, yeah. Blanche Lambert, Lambert Lincoln. Lincoln. And then just drop the, just like John Cougar Mellencamp, I guess. <laughs> right. You just go from, you just drop the, right. the original. So anyway, uh, this is the congressman introducing uh, the nominee. It is my distinct honor to be here today to introduce to you Dr. Jocelyn Elders, uh, President Clinton's nominee for the U.S. Surgeon General. And I do believe I come to you from probably a different avenue, along with Senator Pryor and Senator Bumpers. Um, I have direct results of the efforts of Dr. Elders in my district. And as you mentioned, there was opposition. It's it's hard to think that one party can put up a cabinet-level person in 2022. 
two without pushback from the other side. It wasn't as common in the 90s, but it, but here there was pushback. There was, but it was very polite. It, it wasn't uh, contentious. Right. Uh, they, they just weren't mean about it. They were very polite. Uh, but the conservatives did bring to the table opposition uh, to her nomination. So she was questioned, among other things, about the effectiveness of the clinics because at one point there was an incident where defective condoms uh, were passed out. They recalled them, but she never really brought it up uh, to the state government. Yeah. Uh, she, she didn't fess up right away. Uh, they even looked into her financial, uh, you know, personal finances, and it had to do with uh, a caregiver for oh, her husband's yes, yes. mother right. uh, who was living with them. But anyway, um, again, she was questioned about her attitude uh, about the anti-abortionists. And this came from Indiana Republican Senator Daniel Coates. In Arkansas, you know, I don't know what they do in your state, but what they do is they fight against health education. They fight against welfare. They fight against Medicaid. And, and, but they you know, always want to have, you know, the children born, but they do not want to support children after they're here. And, you know, that was probably where the love affair with the fetus may have come in because I looked on it as an affair. You know, that's a short-term commitment. Whereas with children, that's forever. That's a very long-term commitment. And in my state, I have not seen them out working for programs to help poor mothers. And if we had a society where everybody was provided health care, a decent place to live, and adequate education, then, Senator, we would be taking care of all people. But in Arkansas, in my state, I don't see these kinds of commitments. There were U.S. senators under, not surprisingly, from the other side of the aisle who offered public support. Well, Almost like a love fest. <laughs> it was uh, – well, listen to this. Uh, this is Democratic Senator Howard Metzenbaum of Ohio, and he basically gushes and welcomes her to the new job that she didn't quite have yet. Are you capable of being Surgeon General of the United States? Now, get some of the people who have spoken out for you and to read about your record. I, I never had the privilege of meeting you before, but I had the feeling – that if I didn't vote for you, I might feel the same way I felt about Dr. C. Everett Koop. I didn't vote for him. I made a mistake, and, and I don't intend to make that mistake, and I th- hope this committee and this Senate doesn't make that mistake. You're an unbelievably, unbelievably capable, aggressive, aggressive woman, and I think that that's what we need in fighting some of the problems in this country, the whole problem of children and HIV AIDS isn't going to just take a passive attitude. It's not going to be as kind of a subject that's going to get solved itself. The problem of children's pregnancy, incredible. Now, whether you made great progress or you didn't make great progress, everybody has to stand up and salute you for having made the effort. There are some things that you can't do that much with. And then I read some articles in the paper about uh, the availability of condoms and the fact that some of the condoms were defective and whether you should have gone public or shouldn't have. I don't know. Maybe you should have. I'm not sure. But I'm interested in the health of the people of this country. And for myself, I'm satisfied that you're, you're, you're a breath of fresh air. You're going to come in and do that job. You're going to get confirmed. And you're going to get confirmed by an overwhelming vote. And, and I think you're going to do a fantastic job for the health care needs of this country. She does get confirmed, and, and, and not by a small margin. It's two-thirds. That's true, 65 to 34. And it was a pretty heated confirmation process. But she did get it, and as Surgeon General, she quickly gained 
that national reputation of being controversial, which she already had in Arkansas. She had great, you know, opposition from conservatives that didn't want to hear about it. Right. Uh, Because, you know, she was talking about topics like she had. We all knew about it in Arkansas, but this was now a national platform that she was talking about human sexuality and abortion and contraceptives in school. She even hit this button. Masturbation. And drug legalization. Well, right. But but looking back... The, the one topic that she would talk about that seemed to f- freak everybody out was masturbation. Yes. And, I mean, wow. And, and she was warned by the White House to just kind of cool it a little <laughs> right, bit. Right. Well, she's invited to the United Nations to talk about um, AIDS. And the question of masturbation came up. Right. And this was the final straw. There was never a news conference called about it, but she was asked to resign. She was fired. And so this is a breaking news clip from C-SPAN. We're going to spend a few moments turning our attention to uh, one of the uh, breaking developments that took place uh, this afternoon here in Washington. The uh, resignation of Joyce Lynn Elders, the uh, Surgeon General who has been in that post since uh, uh, for the past year and a half or two years. She is from Arkansas, served in the Clinton administration when uh, Bill Clinton was governor of Arkansas. One of the reporters who worked on that story is Jim Popkin of U.S. News and World Report. Jim Popkin, thanks for being with us. What happened today? Well, today, uh, Joycelyn Elders got the bad news that she's been bracing herself for for 15 months now. Um, All these comments that she's made, off-the-cuff comments, finally caught up with her, and the White House just basically had had enough, and and they asked for her resignation today. Leon Panetta, the White House Chief of Staff, said it was one comment too many. What did she say? Well, I was there. um, She made some comments December 1st. It was World AIDS Day at the United Nations. And in front of 200 people, a psychologist affiliated with the UN asked her a question about masturbation, specifically asked her, would you consider promoting masturbation in schools as a way to discourage kids from trying more uh, dangerous sexual behavior? And I was sitting there thinking, this is one of the questions that the White House has cautioned her three times now uh, not to get into, to stay on message. She had been cautioned, as a matter of fact, just two days prior to this uh, speech to stay on message and stay with the safe themes that she's, some of the safe themes that she's talked about, but she just leapt right in, and she said that, yes, she thought that probably kids should be taught uh, masturbation in schools as a way to deter them from sexual behavior that would lead to AIDS. If I recall, Randy, she had not been Surgeon General for a relatively long amount of time. Just over a year. Okay, 15 months, I believe. yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it didn't take very long. Yeah. All right. So she's not Surgeon General anymore. Yeah. So what now? Yeah. Um, this next clip is from that 2008 interview we did with her, and she's wondering what she's going to do, and she keeps referring to she talked to Coach. Well, that's her husband, and he was a well-known Arkansan in his own right, mm-hmm. Coach Oliver Elders. Um, shoot, he was, he was a coach at Parkview in Little Rock, but he was also coach at Hall High School when I went there. And one of my classmates was Sidney Moncrief. And so he was the coach ah. for Super Sid and, uh, was always a great coach. And he was Hall of Fame, Arkansas Hall of Fame coach, but was a great supporter of his wife moved to D.C. with her, and uh, here's how she describes her conversation with her husband, Coach. Coach has been perhaps the most wonderful, tolerant person. And, you know, and I say tolerant because you have to know that I went through some difficult days as after the Surgeon General, and it was Coach who said, we, we was talking about what we were going to do, and they was going to give me a different job and blah. And so Coach said, you know, we were sitting there one, one, about 3 o'clock in the morning, one morning at Washington, and he looked over at me and he said, Shoo, why don't we just go home? I said, wonderful. And that was the decision we made, and I want you to know, 
I've never, never thought about anything different. She's back. I mean, she came back to Arkansas. Yeah, and taught for years at UAMS. Randy Dixon is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Put Pryor Center into a search engine. You'll find all sorts of things. Randy, welcome back. Good to have you back. Thank you. It's great to be here. That Pryor Center profile with Randy Dixon first aired last winter on Ozarks at Large. Welcome, everybody, to the lunch hour from KUAF, presented to you by Georgia's Majestic Happy Hour. Um, I have with me Kamar from Island Vibes and Avi and Aaliyah, and uh, we're excited to talk to them today. Island Vibes started how it came to be. You're like 27, you said? 27. 27. When I was in college, I've always wanted to own a restaurant, and you know, at the time, I didn't have, you know, the amount of capital that it takes to start one. So small, then started off large. So, you know, I just saved up and, you know, came up with a plan and, you know, Alan Vibes was created. Talk about your menu a little bit. Like, you have, like, the, like, traditional favorites, like jerk chicken, like oxtail, different yeah. things like that. First of all, the menu is my mom's, um, Sylvia Williams. Uh, she's, she is a chef. She owned her own restaurant in Jamaica. So, you know, it's, I'm really, really happy that I was able to open a restaurant and have these, uh, it's all authentic, you know, Jamaican seasonings, uh, all that good stuff. We even incorporate some American mm. dog, you know, it's, it's I gotta the, try that next time. I gotta wait, try that. For sure, for sure. And that was the main goal, to yeah. bring Jamaica to Arkansas. That's real. That, that was the, the only goal that I had in, in mind, and, you know, I think that's what's happening right now. Definitely. And then, like, I feel a similar thing with you as well. And, like, the way you talk about, like, village in southeast Arkansas, like, Mm -hmm. is I went to my world and, like, where I'm from and, like, show y'all. Talk about that a little bit for me. You can't represent something that you don't know very well. So I want to represent where I'm from. I could have easily... Need to, like, village that, like, you want the world to know that, like, yo, this is who we are. Man... There are so many people that I grew up with. We just have a certain type of grit. Like when you come from a place where there are not a lot of resources and um, where there aren't a lot of eyes on you, if you want to do something like what I'm trying to do, like music or he's an Olympian, if you want to make it to um, uh, twice as hard as people that come from places where there are more resources and where there are more scouts and things like that. And a lot of times when people are serious about uh, their endeavors, they'll move to a bigger place because so, yeah. it's easier for them. Like, you know, if you move to a um, a bigger school, you have more scouts. And it's like same same vibes with music. If you really want to get established, if you want to reach a large platform, you have to just work really hard. So mm. we all have that in common. You know, growing up in Jamaica, we never had, you know, the luxury of everything. So when I came to the States and I saw everything that everybody else had, I was like, wow, y'all are living in a gold mine. Mm. So, you know, I was like, listen, I'm going to make the best use of all this opportunity. So, you know, I make sure to wake up early in the mornings, try to be the first one up, the last one out. And, you know, I just keep it going each and every day Mm. because I know the goals that I've set for myself um, and the people that I'm trying to bring with me. And, you know, it takes a lot of work. And, you know, that's that's all I'm about, hard work and, you know, integrity, trying to be smart and, you know, just trying to get to the next level. Mm. Um, for this is for both of y'all. Um, both of you guys operate in sort of like unique spaces, right? You operate in hip hop, which is unique in Northwest Arkansas, and then you have like traditional like island cuisine, which is super unique, kind of like lacking in those 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 uh, those aspects. So you know, when I just started out, I use uh, Instagram and Facebook to market that yeah. Island Vibes is coming to town. So on opening day, uh, it was raining like crazy. Mm. And I was amazed by the amount of people that showed up. Uh, people literally waited in the lines. And I was, I was amazed because I was kind of scared at the amount of food that I, you know, that was prepared. I was like, wow, we probably got to throw away like most of this food. We found ourselves cooking like three times as people waited. Wow. Um, so the reception coming to town was, was awesome. Mm. It was more than I could have ever expected. I would say my reception has been really good as well. I'm really big on no matter where I take my craft, I want to be able to convey it in a manner that's digestible for whoever I'm performing it in front of. So whether I am in Southeast Arkansas, whether I am in Northwest Arkansas, whether I'm in New York, whether I'm in California, it doesn't matter. Um, I always want to be able to 
to bring it to the people and to appeal to whatever audience that I'm in front of at the time. So I would say that my reception here has been really, really good. Not only here, but everywhere, everywhere that knows me so far. Yeah. Um, getting a lot of love. I've always been comfortable talking to people. I hear a lot that I am personable, which I don't really agree with because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a big introvert. Like, uh, if given the option, like, you want to do this, like, be around all these people or be in front of all these people or you yeah. want to, like, go to the crib and chill in your room, I'm going to pick chill in my room. So, But you're able to still, like... Like connect with so many mm -hmm, people, mm -hmm. like so I think, in and out of it. Yes, I think it's just a personality thing. Um, just try to respect everybody I come across, yeah. and and just look them in the eye, say hello, be kind. It's it's not hard to appeal to people. I don't yeah. feel like yeah. So yeah. Has there been any hurdles and and trying to get your music out there more and to be in different spaces? Most definitely, especially since I'm doing everything alone at the moment. I don't have a team, so um trying to be build my platform in places like Little Rock and places like here and places like home. Um navigating through all those different places and having to hop in the car and drive whenever I'm called yeah. because I want to gain more exposure. So yeah, it's it's hard, but it's also being rewarding and fun at the same time. There's been challenges, um, especially being that I'm a, a world-class athlete, um, yeah. training for the Olympics, training for the world championships. Um, so having the time to do both, sometimes it's really challenging, late nights, early mornings. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, they have a scene in Jamaica that says, if you want good, you know, it's half your run. Meaning, if you want good, you you gonna have to sweat, you know, mm. uh, type stuff. So, you know, um, those are those are the only challenges. Um, and I don't necessarily look at it as challenges. I just look at it as hurdles yeah. to get over. Um, which nah. is... Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, it's no ironic <laughs> because I'm a hurdler. Yeah. So. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, I think it's always good to view yourself not as low because you, you need to know who you are, walk right. in your essence, but don't let people play with you. But at the same time, don't be arrogant because mm -hmm. life will humble you quickly. Facts. Quickly. Facts. Dang, that's real. That's real. Dang, thank you so much. I got one last question for both of y'all. What is, uh, what's coming up next for y'all? So for me, I really want to release more music before this year ends. I also have... Um, visual ideas, something I haven't produced yet, so I'm excited about that. I don't want to tell you exactly mm, what it is, but okay. some it's a type of visual I've never done before, and it's going to be like creatively directed by myself. I'm excited to do that. Okay. Um, also, I'm still... I really want to get more comfortable performing in front of people. So hopefully I've, I've been being reached out to by lots of people and like yourself and asking me to perform. I'm really happy about that. I want to continue to do that, continue to gain more exposure. Mm. Just keep pushing this thing forward. See how fast it'll go. Yeah, facts. Um, for me, uh, I have the world championships coming up uh, early next year, so I'll continue preparing for that. And as far as for Island Vibes, it's just you know for everybody to catch the vibe and you know just mm -hmm. come on vibe with us and uh, just to explain. Um, basically, to get Island Vibes all over Arkansas, mm -hmm. I want it to be a place where people can actually come and feel like they're in Jamaica. Perfect, man. Well, thank you again. Thanks for tuning in. This is KUAF's The Lunch Hour, brought to you by Georgia's Majestic Lounge Happy Hour. Again, I have Avian Aaliyah and Kamar from Island Vibes. Thank y'all so much. And we're out. This is KUAF Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, Cedarville. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF. Contributors today included Jacqueline Froelich, Kyle Kelms, and Roby Brock. Our lunch hour conversation, hosted by KUAF's Jasper Logan, was edited by KUAF's operations manager, Pete Hartman. I'm Timothy Dennis. Thank you so much for spending part of your Monday with us. We'll be back tomorrow at noon and 7 for another brand new Ozarks at Large.